all the same, welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Christina Chateauvert, who is a design thinking learning lead at Ford Motor Company. Christina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm just curious, Christina, what does a design thinking learning lead do? I know it's been a great title because I just love design thinking. <laughs> um, so a design thinking learning lead in our particular, um, I would say, company focuses on building capability for design thinking in the organization. So not just in HR, but across all skill teams. Uh, so what this means is the learning experiences, making sure that we have a unified model, language, methods that various teams can draw on um, as we move forward and continue to build capability. We've had pockets of the organization they have been using design thinking for many, many years. So it's drawing on those stories, those instances, and how do we share that with the larger community at the organization? Um, and then how do we have learning experiences that support people's development to learning design thinking? I think we can all, everyone on the call probably knows that you do not learn design thinking in a classroom. You're introduced to the methods, the tools, the approaches, the language in a classroom environment, but it's really on the job. But we recognize that we need to have both in order to make people feel more comfortable in learning some of those new approaches that are associated with design thinking. Um, and probably the favorite part of my job is I also consult cross-functional teams in their use of design thinking. So this allows me to work on a number of challenges um, from a variety of skill teams. Um, and so it keeps my job really interesting where I'm not always working on the same challenge all the time. And I get to help teams see a different way to work, uh, which I find inspiring. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe share an example if you're able to? Uh, I probably can't. <laughs> well, I can share a general example around communications because I think all teams are looking to do this in the future is how do we communicate to our organization in a different way. Um, I think when we think about this in the world, right, we have so much information coming to us on a day-to-day -day basis. If you just think about the amount of emails you get, not just from our organization, but the news. Um, so we're using design thinking and how do we tackle that overwhelming feeling that sometimes people can get from getting all that information. Yeah. yeah. Interesting application. Thanks for yes. that. So tell us a little bit more. Who are you and what's your story? So um, a little bit about me is my personal passion. Um, so long before I started working at Ford, I was introduced to design thinking. And I just love educating other people on human-centered design and how they can use it, not just for their business and their challenges that they have with their business, but also in their personal lives as well. Um, so I'm very fortunate to be able to do that in a number of ways. So as Nicole mentioned, I work at Ford. That's my day job. Um, that's my main job around building capability in design thinking. I also teach at Wayne State University. So it's a university here in Detroit and their learning design and technology program. I teach uh, two classes in their graduate program. The first class that students take when they enter the design and uh, thinking and knowledge class and then the last class when they exit the design capstone class. So it's great to see students evolution from their first class into the last class before they're done with the program. And I've been doing that for about four years. And what it allows me to do is really stay up on my game, I like to say, <laughs> of uh, staying in relevancy in the world of design thinking and how it applies, especially to that world of learning and performance improvement and instructional design. Um, and then lastly, this is fairly new, is this year I launched, um, or I'm launching, I'll say it's in the 
present tense, uh, CC Design LLC. So it's an organization that I've created um, to provide consulting services on design thinking, but specifically around for individuals and how they're going to use design thinking to architect their future. Um, so that is using design thinking for your professional development personally or trying to figure out kind of where I want to go next. So drawing on some of the information around prototyping, how do I understand myself more, and also um, looking at their professional journeys. And so I'll be launching a few workshops coming up um, in the Ferndale, Michigan area. So there's a great women's collective here called She Hive, and it's all about empowerment and belonging. And so there'll be a couple of classes coming this summer along those lines. That's, very, that's a very cool application. Yes. Um, I wanted to follow up on some of the things you said. So first of all, you use the term human-centered design. Can you, um, I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of people in HR are still fairly new to design. Can you just share your, what's your definition or understanding of what human-centered design is? Yeah, I keep it simple. I know a lot of times you can get into the nuances of design thinking and human-centered design. And if you get to, um, you can actually get into a pretty good debate that there's a difference between them. But at, um, in my current role and how I see it in life, I use the same definition. And it's all about how do we, introduce the users, the people that we're designing for, into our design problem. So we make sure that they're always the focus when we're trying to solve that problem. Um, in my career, so spanning over 20 years, I have been in many organizations that have focused solely on making their decisions in a room by themselves not talking to anybody. And so to me at the core, um, human-centered design and design thinking, so they're synonymous, are all about how do we start to involve the users in that approach, whether that's talking to them, observing them, noticing their practices, and just really getting to understand their um, pain points and have empathy for them mm -hmm. before we start making solutions. Right, right. <laughs> that's a great definition. And then the other thing you mentioned around you know, you also teach design thinking at Wayne State, um, and you said it keeps you fresh. And I've been reflecting on this notion of keeping a beginner's mindset is so important in this practice. Um, so I really appreciate that. And through teaching, you know, we know as learning professionals, teaching is the greatest way of learning ourselves, right? So um, just a tip for everybody, as you get into design thinking, um, a key really is to how might we maintain a beginner's mindset? Because this is really what it's about, right? We are still new to the practice. Uh, we want to be open to learning new methods, which this is. And it can feel really uncomfortable in the beginning. A lot of the things that we teach in design thinking are really challenging the way we have done HR in the past. So, um, so think about ways everybody, you know, if you can't teach, uh, at a university or whatever, but uh, what are ways first that you can change your own mindset and then maybe start teaching others in some way or form. So I really like that. Yeah, and I have a comment that makes you feel better too. Um, so for those of you who don't know, IDEO is a global design firm focusing on design thinking. And I was just recently talking to someone from IDEO who'd been in using design thinking methods and methodologies for over 20 years. And he mentioned that he still gets nervous when he has to go do user research. And what I mean by user research is that talking to people, observing people, there's still a, a level of uncomfort in that, even with 20 years of experience. So I don't know if that makes you feel better, but it makes me feel better <laughs> in knowing that there's really not true mastery to design thinking because it is the evolution. And we are in that 
constant learning mindset. Um, and I think that's what kind of draws us as HR professionals into this world as well. Because not only are we advocates for our employees, right, and the people that we're designing for by nature, but we're also probably been drawn to this because it's an always changing field and we're always interacting with things that are moving and evolving. And so that learning mindset and growth mindset is what we probably have that drew us into this in the first place. Yeah, that makes me feel better. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, Christina, I asked everybody this question, so you get that as well. What is your creative Superpower. Tell us about it. Yeah, Nicole has us draw it out. So I have um, mine. And I always tell people to go ahead and draw and don't judge themselves. So I'll do the same. Um, you know, where visual thinking and visual sketching is all about putting your ideas out there um, in a way that's different. And so mine is from abstract to action. So I thrive in the creative space. If you give me a blank sheet of paper, and you tell me to go solve something, that's when I have um, true passion around it. Um, when something is more operational, I tend to lose my passion. <laughs> I feel like that's the same. Um, and people thrive in that. And I've been in roles that have been perfect because I've had colleagues that thrived in um, the operation and I've thrived in the abstract. But what I do find is sometimes we have the opportunity or we run into the issue where we stay in the abstract too long and we don't move to action. And so it's all about how can we take these abstract concepts that in theory, like um, user research or developing insights, and how do we make them tangible so people can use them and they're relevant in their worlds right away? And then how do we move forward with action that's a little bit quicker? Um, in my past, I've worked in roles where we've launched a product or a service, and we've worked on it for six months before we had initial input from users, instead of now looking at it from the ability to prototype quickly. So putting the sketch, let's say this is an end product or service that we're considering, being able to put something that's been drawn with Sharpies instead of coming up with a full mock-up on a computer to get that learning done earlier in the process mm -hmm. or the approach. Right. I don't like to call design thinking a process because people are very process oriented. And then we try to think of it as a very linear fashion and it's actually very messy. Um, so if you find yourself feeling that it's messy, you're not alone. Um, we definitely, um, a lot of the models out there for design thinking are either circles or they have arrows to indicate that you're constantly going back to move forward. And that's perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like to talk about it as a mindset as well. Yes. So mindset, methods, process, you know, it's, it's all of the above. And people here know me for saying this um, probably too much is that in my mind, the mindsets are more important than a model because you can have different models have different language. And it's important from a clarity perspective that everyone on the team knows they're working from the same language model. Um, but it's really in that changing of the mindsets and the empathy and the collaborative nature that is where that true change happens in the way that we look at problems and we solve for them. Yeah. yeah. Great. Just to remind everybody who's on the webcast, this is your chance today to a question. So the last 10 minutes, we'll be answering questions. Please put them in the chat. Um, so now let's move to some of the application of design thinking. So it's been well documented, most recently in an article in the Atlantic, that Ford has been embracing design thinking as a business. 
How has that impacted HR? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure yeah, and I'll have an HR focus, but also even just um, seeing how it's impacting other areas in the organization as well, which is pretty exciting uh, because it's breaking down silos that normally have been typical in any organizations. Um, even in past organizations I worked in, you know, we had our HR, we had our operations, we had our sales divisions, and a lot of times they ran insular. Um, so we're seeing it here as well where, as I mentioned, the consulting on cross-functional teams. So we'll have people from manufacturing in with communications, um, in with HR, having these types of conversations. And so you get all those various different perspectives. Um, well, I would argue that HR by nature is very user-centered. I think having those right conditions, as Nicole mentioned, and I think she'll be able to share the link to the article as well, and you'll kind of see some of the practices that Ford's put in place around design thinking. The three, I thought about this a little bit, and the three that I really see as driving force of change is clarity. Um, as I mentioned, we have a unified language so we all know that we're talking about problem solving approaches and phases of design thinking using that same lexicon. Um, so before, if you don't have a unified approach, you may be talking about the same thing and you're debating the same thing, but you're not realizing you're actually talking about the same thing. Um, so that's offered a lot of clarity. Um, we've also had consistency by having a unified um, framework that allows employees to kind of know exactly what phases that they're going through. So am I interviewing? Um, am I prototyping? Am I coming up with determining what types of ideas we want to move into prototypes? And so we have methods in place now that employees can draw on. And I think for me, probably the most, um, I touched on it a little bit, but the most important is around community. It's getting that us to lift our heads from where we're sitting, because it's very easy. I am um, also guilty of this, to have deliverables that are due very quickly and not find the time to kind of lift our heads and see what's going out, not just in the environment we're in at work, but, right, but what other other companies doing to solve this? What are things in other industries doing? And so I think it's important for us to kind of take that time. I think people equate that to time consuming, but you can time box anything. Um, so it's even if I say, hey, I have this service that I've sketched out and I want to get it in front of three people. I mean, that could be as quick as what can you do? I always like to say, what can you do for less than $50 in an hour? to get some feedback or some learning on the solution that you're proposing. Um, and recently, I will say, if those of you who follow uh, Ford Motor Company Careers on Facebook, we've recently released our, what we call our truce. And so as a corporate culture, uh, we're looking at how do we, those mindsets, put those mindsets in place. So there's a couple of them. Are, you'll see, um, I can always share the link with you after, is put people first, uh, be curious, and create tomorrow. So those are three mindsets that are not just being um, led by HR, but are being transformed across the entire organization. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Those are really great media examples. Um, I had a follow-up question on when you mentioned that there's cross-functional teams, for example, manufacturing employees with maybe corporate employees. I, I recently am, am getting a lot of questions from people who work in industries with maybe a large blue collar workforce. And they've asked me, you know, this process seems to be really just applying for white collar to white collar pro professions. So I thought I'd ask you that question because you mentioned manufacturing. Um, what's your response to that? Or I don't know if you can share an example, but you know, how, how might it also apply in a blue collar environment? 
Yeah, and I think it's um, making sure that you have the voice, and it might be, you might not be able to pull people off the line, right, to interview them, um, because they have their set measurements that they have to hit for the day, but it's about, like, how do you make sure that their voice is represented in the decisions that you're making? So making sure that you have someone that's an advocate that from them from the plant in that conversation is key, or someone who maybe is more in touch. So where we might not be able to have the direct impact to the blue collar, um, it's like, how do you get that voice represented into the design itself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And there is ways where you can do that, where you don't have to pull people off. Absolutely. Um, for long amounts of times, right? There's ways you can do that in a very practical way. Great. Um, a question I, I also get a lot is when people want to hear stories from companies who've embraced design thinking, what have been some of the barriers? I don't want to use the word failure, but mm -hmm. barriers or lessons learned as you went through that process. Can you share maybe one? Oh, absolutely. And for those of you who love to read, because I'm kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> Nicole calls us all HR geeks, but I'm a reading geek too. There is a book called Innovation by Design by Thomas Lockwood that came out earlier this year. And it talks about how three different organizations scale design thinking. Um, and so really timely, right, in our world, um, and not just in their HR function, but just how they were trying to do it across the organization. And they have um, indicated there's some areas in there around culture. So there's um, companies that have maybe an innovative culture. So it's a little bit easier for design thinking to thrive in that culture. And then we have um, expertise culture. And so typically I came, I worked in the financial industry and then I went to healthcare insurance and now I'm in automotive. So I have a lot of ex experience in the expertise culture where that's really where we thrive is on people's expertise. And I find in design thinking that could be a barrier to moving forward because you don't necessarily go in with the open mindset, but you want, you go in with the fix it mindset. Mm -hmm. I know what the problem is. I know what people think. I know my customer. Um, as much as you think you know your customer, you probably don't. Um, so it takes a little bit more, but we have that where we're just going to solve this now. Um, and the second one, when it comes to any organization, especially larger organizations, is that low tolerance for risk. And I'm design thinking is risky. Um, you may spend a couple months or a couple weeks working on something and the solution might not make the world better, right? Um, the difference is instead of spending a year working on a project and launching it at the end, you've only spent a couple of weeks to figure out that it won't work, right? And you can learn from that and you go back to the drawing board and say, hey, what pivots do we need to make in order to move this forward? Um, and I know you don't want to say failure, but I will say that's a barrier is having the lack of conversations around when we fail and what do we learn from it? Mm -hmm. I always say that a company has made it when they have a failure conference. You know, there's those failure museums in Europe uh, where you walk in and you can see all the products and services from different organizations that have failed. And I just love that they put it on display because it's really about um, what did we learn from that? So show the successes in the world. Um, because they probably started with a lot of failures, but you fail, I think it was David Kelly from IDEO who said you fail early and often, um, so you're not spending a year. <laughs> mm -hmm. But so that's so interesting um, because there are certain words in design thinking, certain terms that really are not, uh, or are counterintuitive to how we've run companies. To your point, the fixed mindset and the, mm -hmm. the bias toward action versus staying in the problem space for a little bit longer. Yes. We're really doing some research, right? Because we think we might delay the process. We're really, in the end, 
we're um, avoiding mistakes at the back end when we spent more time on the front end, really talking mm-hmm. to our audience. Um, and then this notion around failure, um, you know, empathy is also, you know, everybody wants empathy, but we haven't really talked about empathy a lot. And organ- prototyping is so new. So, so you made the points around fixed mindset, risk aversion, um, failure, avoidance, or not using that term. So can you share maybe a tactic for how you overcame or addressed some of those initial barriers? Yeah, um, I think it's really around meeting people where they are, right? Um, And knowing that they might not be able to put design thinking into practice from beginning to end. Because it can be a little overwhelming if you look at it from how you've normally solved problems and you were trying to say, hey, we're going to use design thinking and we're going to do this whole approach and we're going to use this framework. And um, you may have passion around it, but sometimes it's hard to get people to come along that journey with you. Mm-hmm. I, so I think it's about picking those small changes you can make in a project mm-hmm. and just embedding those in. So for example, I might not be able to do design thinking all the way from the central question, the how might we question, all the way to prototyping with people. But what I can do is I can talk to a few people right? Mm-hmm. I can brainstorm differently. So I don't know how many of you have been invited to a brainstorm session, which was an hour, uh, hour and a half, and it had the same team that you always brainstorm with, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of time boxing it. So there's science and research shows that your ideas will start to trickle off at minute 11. Mm-hmm. So you can set a brainstorming session for 10 minutes and get a cross-functional team in there. Um, in a last role I had at Ford, I would pull people, we'd pull people in from the hall. Like they would be walking by to go to like the lunchroom and be like, do you have a few minutes? And they wouldn't know that much about the problem itself, but that's important to understand that you need those fresh perspectives. So what are those like little things that you can start to embed? And then what I found is that people really enjoy to work this way once they make that shift. Um, they realize that I can put the PowerPoint away. <laughs> I can pull the sticky notes out. Um, and people tease about the sticky notes, right? But they serve a great po- purpose is that you're constantly rearranging like themes and insights. So you need something that you can transport on the walls easily. Um, but when you start working in this way and you start to see the success and the inspiration that comes from talking to others and thinking differently, um, it starts to become contagious. And then other people are like, how do I get involved in that? And even that's how I started with design thinking was I went to one talk um, that Dr. Monica Tracy did years ago, about six years ago on design thinking. And ever since then, I was like, how can I learn more and kind of make this my future? Mm-hmm. Cool. So to, to sum things up, what's your one tip for how people can get started with design thinking? I think it's like, don't overwhelm yourself, right? I think that would be my one tip. Because sometimes when we get so overwhelmed, we automatically shut down completely. You don't need to read everything in the world on design thinking. There is a ton of resources out there. Um, I get some aggregate news aggregates every day that have like 20, 30 articles on design thinking. So go through and just start with what you're passionate about. What you know, think about a project that you're currently working on and say to yourself, what are some things that I can start to do differently to make sure that I'm an advocate for the user throughout this process or this approach? And then start to think about, okay, don't, you don't need to read a ton in order to get started. Just start. We know we don't learn it in a classroom. We're introduced to it in a classroom. We know that by reading books, we start to get more knowledge, but it's really that pursuit of knowledge um, we're finding, and that's in that design by innovation or innovation by design book. 
it's that pursuit of knowledge. So people seeking out to learn more um, is really where that success is and the application to be able to do it. So I would say just try it and think about those little steps and little changes that you can have along the way. That's smart. And what if some of the listeners are in the Detroit area? Uh, is there sort of a way they can learn about design thinking in HR? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm so happy to be the host for the HR Hackathon. Um, so it's looking at, so Nicole's like super excited. So, and I should, I know we are going to open it for questions, but Nicole and I met um, a few years ago through the IDOU Coaching Fellowship. And so it's been a great journey to meet her and be part in seeing all this grow and her vision growing across the globe for getting HR connected to design thinking. And so we'll have some sessions this fall set up in the Detroit area to participate in what we call an HR hackathon. So a two hour event that will introduce you to um, different facets of design thinking and how you can start to practice and get some of that practice in a safe environment. Um, and also I think the other cities are Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I see we have some Atlanta Anika on the line. <laughs> uh, so that's relevant. And then what's the other city, Nicole? Atlanta, Denver, Detroit, and Chicago is where we're Perfect. right now. Yep. Yeah, and, and growing. Any other city and want to become a host, let me know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so before we go to questions, really quick, I want you to react to a quote. Are you ready? I'm ready. Quote, maybe stories are just data with the soul. Unquote, oh, Renee Brown. I know you had to pick Renee. I love Renee. Um, so I'm certified uh, recently in the Dare to Lead work by Brene. So I got to, I was able to spend two and a half days with her and I'm still on, I say that like it was just me and her, but it was 120 people <laughs> in the cohort. Uh, but still, she touched my arm. I have a picture with her. Uh, but data with the soul. I think it's so true because if we think about it, there's two sides to that. Sometimes the people who just, if we just tell stories to tell stories, we lose the analytical people, right? We lose the people who are very grounded in what's right, what's wrong, I need proof. Um, so that data and that research helps us back those stories up. But if we only lead with stories, we miss all the people who are like, I want to lead with passion. I want to lead with feeling. So I think that that quote definitely, to me, has taken on new meaning in the most recent years around how do we bring everyone along on that journey Love to that. have empathy and to be advocates for the people around us. Love that. All right, let's jump into questions. So Kelly is asking, in your earlier stages of using design thinking, how did you keep from reverting back to old ways of working? Great question. That is a great question. And I think it was having, um, surrounding yourself with people who are also passionate to work in a different way. So they help you hold each other accountable. So even to this day, I'll be in a meeting, whether it's here, it's at Wayne State, um, and we're talking and we're trying to solve. And we jump right to solving instead of, hey, let's back up and try to figure out, are we really solving the right problem. Who do we need to talk to? Let's come up with a research plan. So when someone starts in those brainstorming sessions of our research, if someone says, I know the solution or we can do this, it's kind of calling them out in a fun way of saying, that's the solution. So you don't dismiss it, write it on a post-it, save it for later when you get to the solutioning portion of design thinking, but just knowing that you have that relationship with each other um, and you'll catch yourself too. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't have a team that I work on that are passionate around this, um, you'll start to catch yourself. I do. I'll be in a meeting and I'm thinking of like five solutions and I'll write them down and not say it because <laughs> I start to catch myself. 
Right, so it's like self-reflection, self-awareness, mm-hmm. and humor. Humor is a great way to, um, you know, not make others feel bad about, oh, you did it the wrong way again, you know. Um, but if you, because that's what design thinking is also about. It's being playful at work and introducing a sense of humanity and humor. It really is. If you come walking in and saying everyone's doing it wrong, um, you come in with that right-wrong mentality with design thinking, it's just going to, um, it won't be able to thrive in whatever environment you're trying to introduce it to. So it's a kind of, how do you coach and pivot along the way as you're all learning it together? And even saying that, we're all learning this together. So um, in that, even the experts are experts, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So I've got two more minutes and Anika is asking, you mentioned collaboration, clarity, and community. I work in an industry which is very much entrenched, and this is how we've always done things. How do you introduce design thinking in a way that you gain buy-in at the outset of making? Yeah, so that's a great one. So I may or may not be part of environments like that. That's my wink. Um, <laughs> wink, wink. Is I think it's important to show the bigger picture of design thinking outside of the organization. So I've gotten questions in the past, um, whether it's my role now or even in my previous role around design thinking just being used in certain industries or certain situations, or that's for a startup, right? Or they'll just count it in a different way. Um, so it's really showing that there's this big view of design thinking and it's solving real world issues. So how to get water in developing countries how to save infants, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we start to share that this is so much bigger than our company that we're part of in helping us move our world forward? Um, so sometimes that helps people. Sometimes I will say you have those people that will be 100% against it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one thing is to share with them that bigger picture. The second thing I've also been very cognizant about doing is not telling people it replaces their skills that they already have. Mm-hmm. So design thinking is a tool in your toolkit. You're not going to use it for everything, right? If you know that um, uh, chemical A mixes with chemical B, it will always get the same reaction. That's not a time to use design thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's realizing that you have all the knowledge that you learned in your world of HR, in your world of business. That is all still valid and very relevant, very relevant. Um, but it's how do we add this flavor of design thinking when we are dealing with these uncertain, um, these wicked problems that we're trying to solve? Love it. Such wise words to close off, close us <laughs> off today, Christina. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, everybody. Uh, and we'll post this soon. And I hope to see you all at a future Talent Tales webinar. Take care, everybody. Bye. Oh, thank you, everyone. Thanks.